Whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships, I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ageless. So today we have Natalie Barbu on the podcast. Natalie is one of the OG YouTubers. She started back in 2011, grew up on YouTube and social media, and was able to quit her corporate job to do YouTube full-time in 2019. She then started doing consulting for brands and influencers and came up with the idea for Rella, which is the company she founded in 2021. And basically, it's an organizational tool, an app for influencers to run and grow their business. It's everything all in one place for growing your business as an influencer. And she recruited two technical co-founders to help her develop the app. And the team has since grown to eight people in just a few months. So it's absolutely incredible. In this episode, we talk all about social media strategy, what Natalie's day-to-day looks like these days, and just the changes that she's seen in the social media space since starting back in the early years in 2011. So We hope you guys love this episode. Definitely follow Natalie and check out Rella, especially if you are interested in content creation. And yeah, let us know your thoughts on this episode. So let's just jump right into it with Natalie. Okay, so maybe we can just start off with a little bit of a background on you. I found your channel like back in the day. I know you've been doing YouTube forever. So I want to talk about your intro to social media and YouTube and how you think the industry has changed because I know you're still doing content creation. Yeah. Yeah. So I started back in 2011 on YouTube. And so it was back when YouTube was not a thing. It was very weird to be on it. And it was not something that like people were doing, but I just was bored one day and like wanted to try it out. And so I started filming, became obsessed with it. And then I have just like kept up with it since then. So did it all throughout high school, did it all throughout college. And it's definitely changed a lot. Like content creation, social media, YouTube has changed so much since I started. I feel like it started very curated and like makeup tutorials and fashion videos and not that much about your personal life. And now it's like everyone's showing their personal life on screen. So I've been really excited about that. I've been happy that it's been like, more of your personal life showing and more authentic and you can connect more with your audience and your community. And that's been like my absolute favorite part of like what it's been. And I think that trend is going to continue. When did you realize that what you were doing kind of like for fun would become a career for you? And like, how did that first kind of like maybe your first brand deal or like, how did that, how did that evolve? Yeah. Yeah. So I started when no one was making money. Like It wasn't something that people were doing as a business. But then I realized it when I got to college and other people my age that I had watched weren't going to college and they were moving to LA and they were doing it full time. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of money in this if people are doing that and able to do that. So I started having more of like a business brain to it. I was like, okay, I need to be consistent. I need to post once a week. I need to, you know, have like a schedule and have like a theme in my videos. And I can't just do this like only for fun. Like, of course it's for fun, but like I want to make money off of this. And so that's when I started taking it more seriously. And I got some brand deals then, but it was like, we'll pay you 20 bucks to do this whole dedicated video, you know? And I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) In the beginning. But once I got to my junior year of college, so that's probably like five years into doing YouTube is when I started making 
a little bit more money. And it started being able to be something that like was considered a job and that I was making like a significant income off of not full time or anything like that. But for a college student, it was good for me. So I would say like five years in. So it took a while. But I think it's because once I had that like mental shift, that's when I started realizing that I could take it seriously and make money. And then eight years in, so in 2019, I was able to quit my job and do it like full-time. And I was making more money on YouTube than I was like at my full-time job. So that's when like things like really, really shifted. I think it has to do with the growth of your platform, but I also think it has to do with just the growth of the industry in general. And I noticed like a lot of my friends that started on TikTok, the transparency in the influencer space in terms of like rates and salaries and all of that is so it's still not there. But I think it's getting better to the point where like my friends that started on TikTok, they know, okay, this could be my full time job, kind of right out of the gate. Whereas like, when I started doing Instagram and stuff, it was just not like, I remember being so excited to get paid like $100 to post five photos for a brand over a month. Like a long-term brand deal was like $100. And that's definitely not what it is now. So I think that brands are starting to realize that like quality content that's connecting you to a new audience is like, it's such a value to the brand to the point where like these people should be getting paid for their work. So totally. yeah, it's, it's completely changed for me and you've been doing it for much longer. And I think the content you're creating is even more intense, I guess, because it's like part of a long, long form video. So, well, also I think um, what's important too to think about with partnerships is, and I, I wonder how much this plays into your thinking, but when you do a partnership, A, you get paid, but B, you're, they're hosting your content on their sites. So that's helping to grow your audience too then. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you can build your resume. You know, you can say like, look at what I've done for this company. Or if that company shares you, you get exposed to their audience. So a lot of it is like a two-way transaction for influencers and brands. So I do want to touch on your consulting background because a lot of people had questions about that. And I want to talk about like when you started getting interested more in like the back end of what we do, like as content creators. Yeah. So once I quit my job and was able to do it full time, I was thinking, I would always get questions about, oh my God, how do you start making money? How do you grow? How do you do this? I've been doing this for so long and like, I haven't seen that much progress or the opposite of, I just started out and I want to grow. Like, can you help me? And I would get so many of those questions. So it kind of sparked to me that I could do these consulting services and like offer up my advice to people on a one-on-one session because of course, you can give generic blanket advice, like be consistent, you know, post quality content, all of that advice that you hear all the time. But I felt like it'd be better if I actually understood their channel, their niche, what they were posting specifically. So that's when I became interested in actually meeting with people one on one. And so I set up my website, I offered like bookings online. And it was it did really well. I had spoken to like, over a hundred influencers during my time doing it, helping them out. And some of them I'm still like in contact with today and we still keep up and they're now at like 50,000 subscribers or they were able to quit their job and do this. And I'm not saying that I'm the reason for that, but it's cool to see their growth, like from where they were to like where they are now and to see that possibility. Cause people today think, Oh, I can't grow. Like it's too saturated and it's not, you know, you can start now and still be able to grow and make it a job and, you know, do well with it. I, so I, I always want to knock down that idea that it's too saturated because I've been hearing that for the past like five years and it's just like, it's never true. Can you give us some tips that aren't the obvious, you know, give our listeners some tips? Yeah. I always say one thing that's really underrated is connecting with your audience, even when you're small. So I think a lot of times people think like, oh, I can't do Q and A's or I can't do, you know, the, I can't like interact with my followers because I only have like a hundred people. Like no one really cares. You know, what am I going to do? Like talk to the camera and share what I'm doing when it's like 500 people or a thousand people. Like that's such a small number and people feel awkward like talking to their audience when they're that small. But 
I always say like, you have to start nurturing those relationships from day one, because those are going to be your most loyal followers. Those are going to be the people that recommend you to their friends. And also that's how you have like a good habit of fostering that community and being, having an engaged audience, which helps even for brands, you know, you can have a hundred thousand followers, but if no one's engaged, then no one's going to pay you versus 5,000 followers, but you have a super engaged audience that's worth so much more. So I always mention that like you should go live with your audience, respond to the DMs, respond to comments, ask them if they have any questions and answer them. I always see influencers that don't do that even when they're small. And I'm like, that is, you're missing out on such a good opportunity to like really form a personal relationship with them. Like to me, answering DMs and comments and stuff like that is like the favorite, my favorite part of what I do right now. Mm -hmm. I think the more of your life that you share, which can get toxic at times, but I think the more of you, of your life that you share, the more people are invested across platforms. And I've seen this even just recently, I went on my first brand trip, which was scary, but also really fun. And what I noticed from speaking to a few of the girls on the trip was that the ones that did YouTube, their story views on Instagram were so much higher because people are so much more invested in their lives because they share so much on YouTube, even though their YouTube audience was smaller than their audience on Instagram. The engagement with their stories, because it is more of like a day-to-day thing, was so much higher because people were invested in like what they were doing day-to-day, knowing that they're probably going to vlog it for YouTube or show it on YouTube later. So I think it is showing as much of your life as you can without it getting to be like oversharing or like too toxic for your life and your lifestyle. So yeah, I definitely agree to that. Agree with that. It's just like sharing, answering as many questions as you can and like sharing as much of your life as you can across platforms. So yeah, it's like yeah. a double-edged sword because I feel like when obviously you want to be personal and you want to share everything, but then I've noticed when you are super personal and share everything, you get so much more back, like a lot of backlash too. You know, people think that they know you and they think they know everything. And so like, they're so much more willing to give you hate or, you know, like be mean online or comment on fake accounts and stuff because they think that they know everything because you're portraying like you're showing a lot, but really like all of us are only showing a small percentage of our day, even if we are sharing a lot of it. Wait, so thinking, talking about personal engagement as a brand, can you talk about the difference between a brand and the person? Like, you know, in our case, in my case at work, I post a lot of personal things and that always gets the most engagement. But as a brand, you know, you kind of want to separate the two. And I think that that's always a fine line that we're walking here. You know, like how much, you know, I I don't do a lot of personal things on stories. Mm-hmm. A little bit, but, you know, maybe I, I don't know what you would recommend. For yeah, that. I think it would be interesting because I know you did consulting for both sides. Yeah, of the exactly. Yeah, I would honestly say like behind the scenes and, you know, more business oriented content that feels personal, but not necessarily you. So, oh, I'm behind the scenes of, you know, sketching for the next collection or whatever, you know, or like, oh, we're opening up the store and redoing the the mannequins or, you know, things like that. Like I'm not super familiar with your day to day, but you know, behind the scenes of your business so that they feel like they're really involved. Like I know when we were launching Rella, we had a whole year of taking people behind the scenes, the entire process. So that when we do launch, we have already like a strong community. And so when we launched, we had like hundreds of people posting about it on their stories. And like so many people were saying, Oh my God, it feels like I've been on this journey with you because I've shown so much of like the behind the scenes of the business, not just really my life. Like I don't show my boyfriend really. I don't show my family. I don't show friends on my content because I feel like that's that's stuff I want to keep like to myself and personal. So I don't really share that much of like my personal life, but with my business and like my brand, I will share everything because I feel like it makes people feel like they're a part of it too. And that's always like what I wanted was to create that like strong community. So like For example, like if you launched a new collection and people saw the behind the scenes of it, like you sketching it or what like the other versions looks like or the colors you were deciding to choose from or whatever that looks like. Once it's out there, it's like, oh my God, like 
I've been watching this for so long and now it's finally here. And it just makes them feel like they're a part of it with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely easier if like your niche is more of like the business side, which is your niche. But I think it's much harder when you're like more of a lifestyle creator, because then it becomes, you have way more pressure to share like all of those parts of your life, you know, your friendships, your relationships, like what's going on with your family, all of that stuff. So I think that's definitely something that I struggle with. But I think I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts on this are, because I think a lot of people feel weird about sharing like the behind the scenes of business because it's somehow meant to be like private or like secretive or like you have some special sauce that you don't want to share. And I definitely see that point of view. But like, from watching, I know I've been following Kenzie Elizabeth and her journey in founding Okind, which is her clothing brand. And she's been like so obsessed with sharing every part, you know, you know like even the designing of the tags that's going to be on everything. And I think like from the beginning, she was really open about sharing all of that. And I think that was really cool because it was it obviously gets people invested in the brand, but it's also like it shows that kind of anyone can do it if you are willing to like put in that work. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, I don't know, they like gatekeep their business strategy a little bit. Yeah, I've noticed that. And that's kind of why I decided to do the opposite of that because I was constantly looking for people that were doing what I was doing. I was like, okay, who else is a female founder that started a company or started an app or started a tech company or startup or whatever. Like I was looking constantly for people like that on YouTube, on Instagram, TikTok. And like, I really couldn't find any. And it was really frustrating because I was like, there's gotta be people that have done this before. Or when I did find them like on podcasts, for example, it was like years afterwards and they're just like reflecting back. And so that always frustrated me because I was like, I wish I could watch someone in the moment doing it. Like, even if it ended up not working out or failing or whatever it was like just like seeing that process would have helped me out so much. And so that's kind of why I was like, I'm going to start doing that on my channel. I'll just start documenting the process. I'll, and I'll document, you know, meetings that we have and what I'm working on this week and, you know, Oh, I did this. And now, now I need to do this, you know, kind of like the timeline and the progression of like what it takes to launch this and to start this and to run the business and so that was kind of my thought process was like, I wanted to see this content, so I'm just going to make it. But I also listened to this podcast called Startup. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but season one, he like went through everything. Like he went through investor meetings, like talks with his wife about his company that he's launching. And so that type of content really, really helped me. And I was like, I'm going to do that, but on YouTube. <laughs> and so that's kind of like why I decided to do that. Because I also think like, I feel like people are scared to share because they're like, oh no, someone's going to copy me. I feel like you're the person that's the most passionate about this. If someone copies you, they're not going to have that same passion. They're not going to have those same convictions as you. So I was just like, I'm just going to share it and show the world. And I think for me, it, it worked out. In, but like, I see that side where people are like scared to share in case like someone copies it or if something goes wrong. Yeah, I think it's like both sides. It's either people are too scared to share because they are scared that they're going to fail and then it's going to be like a failure story and no one wants to talk about that. Or it's like, I have some special ingredients, you know, that like, I don't want anyone to steal from me. I just think that whole mentality of the being worried about copiers is like so detrimental to any startup and any entrepreneurial thing. Yes. Keep, keep things under wraps until you, are ready to go. But once you're, you're in it, I don't think you, you can't live or work like that. I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's going to slow you down. And it's like always looking over your shoulder instead of looking forward. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's also like anyone who is doing something similar or wants to do something similar can only be your help and your collaborator at the end of the day. And I think that, again, what you said, no one, no one can do it the way that you're going to do it. So there's no point in like 
let's just help each other. There's room, there's room for everyone to succeed. So yeah, yeah, I always think that especially with like social media too, when people think that there's too many influencers, and they're not going to do well, because so and so already watches someone that's similar to them. It's like there's room to watch multiple people and to follow multiple people like it's not you or the other person and I think that's one thing like someone else's success doesn't take away from yours it doesn't mean that you can't succeed because they already succeeded agree yeah, exactly and it's never going to be exactly like what you're doing anyway mm-hmm. you're always going to have your like special angle on things but I want to talk about Rella and your founding story a little bit and just like how you decided to, I mean, you already had a full-time job, which is doing content creation. And you were like, okay, now I'm going to do this whole other thing. And I'm going to start a company, which is kind of crazy, but also amazing. And it's grown so fast. You have an amazing team already. So let's talk about that a little. Yeah. So Rella is something that came out of a need that I had just as a content creator. So I was doing like full-time YouTube, social media, Instagram, and that was like my full-time job. And I was super happy with it. And I, I always was just annoyed that there was nothing out there that was like a management tool specifically for influencers to help us run our business. And I would always kind of try to put together things like project management tools like ClickUp or Trello or Asana that I used, but they weren't really optimized for social media or then just like Instagram planners where you can like plan your feed and that was it. And so it was it was like one or the other. And I felt like a lot of the social media management tools out there were for brands that have a social media presence and for like social media managers that help brands, not content creators, because there's a huge difference posting for as an influencer versus posting like as a brand. And so that was where I had the idea of starting a management tool for specifically content creators. And once I had that idea, I'm very, I just like do things when I think of them. I'm very just like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead first and dive into this. And so I started drafting out, what do I want this to look like? What features do I want? How do I, what do I want it to be? And I kind of just kept running with it and talking to people and putting things together. And then I just ended up starting like kind of forming a team to help me start this and, you know, design it and develop it. And we just launched on January 18th, but this has been in the works for the past year and a half. Um, So it's a management tool for content creators to help them run their business all in one place. Can we talk about your team, like what each person does loosely, just so that we know, you know, for a startup, what are the key players? Yeah. So so I started with the technical side of things because I am not a technical person. I had a background in engineering, but I did not code or like do any of that. Like that was not my specialty. And so I had asked around friends if they know any developers and I was connected to these guys that had like a software consultancy for apps where they developed apps. And so I started working with them to help bring this vision to life. And they had designers on their team to help actually with like the UX, UI of it and help design it. So first we started with the designers. They started designing all of the screens for it. We had weekly meetings going through, you know, what I want each screen to look like and how I want the user to feel while using it. And once that was completed, then the developers started actually like coding it and developing it and putting it together. And then the next person that we hired from there was influencer, an influencer marketing coordinator because we knew that we wanted someone to help us reach out to influencers to work with them and then also help with like PR stuff for like whenever we do launch. We also had a front-end developer. So we added an additional developer to just help speed things along. And then we also hired someone to help us create content for social media. So for TikTok, Instagram, all of that. And they're like posting all the content. So we have three developers, including my two co-founders who are technical. We have two designers and we have one influencer marketing person and we have one like content creation person. And then me. Awesome. So what are you doing for the business day to day now? Yeah. So a lot of what I'm doing is 
a lot of admin work. Um, so just like anything legal, accounting, helping with that. We're also fundraising. So I'm the one that's reaching out to VC firms, to angel investors, setting up meetings with them. A lot of talking about Rella and like what it is. And then also, I'm still doing a lot of content for Rella. So I'm still doing a lot of the marketing, a lot of the content, um, planning out the content, and then, you know, handing it off to see if someone or to have someone like design it and actually execute it. But I'm still heavily like promoting it on all of my own social channels. So those are like my main roles at Rella, really just like the overarching like vision and lead leading the meetings and all of that. And then fundraising, which is like a full-time job right now in and of itself. And then also content creation. I want to ask you if there was, if in the original plan, you had aspects of the, of Rella in general, and just like the management tools that you would want that you felt like after you had launched or like right before you had launched, you were like, Hmm, I feel like I need to add this in there because this would be really useful or like how has the platform grown since that first idea? Yeah. So the first idea was pretty just like a simple management tool to help like post on all different platforms at once and like kind of organize sponsorships. It's really evolved into being more of like a complete project management tool to run your entire business management, monetization, all included within Rella. So it's gone from just a little app that can post across platforms to something a lot bigger where I want this to be the only tool an influencer needs to run their business. And all the time we're learning from our audience. So since we were so open about what we were building like during the process, we had focus groups. We had a lot of people come to us telling us like, oh my God, I wish that this was a thing. Like this is really frustrating me and my business. We had a lot of calls with other influencers and content creators asking them just about their process and like, how do you organize stuff right now? How do you manage your business right now? Just to get ideas for what else Rella could implement. And so a lot of it has been like listening to our audience and seeing what they want from like where it originally started. So it's evolved a lot and I know it's going to continue to evolve. Like we're rolling out new features every few weeks. We're constantly trying to grow and implement more things onto the app to make sure that this is the only tool an influencer needs. But it's funny how it started, like just as like some small, like one page word doc. And now I'm like, oh, I have so many ideas. Like I want this, 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 this. And just like hearing from our audience has been really cool. Would you say most of the users are multi-platform influencers? Yeah, definitely. And like if, if someone is, you know, big on TikTok, then they make sure they're Instagram and, you know, or vice versa. Yeah, definitely. I, I... I think today you need to be on multiple platforms. Like if you are trying to do this seriously and like make a brand for yourself, you cannot just be on Instagram. You cannot just be on YouTube. You can't just be on TikTok. Like you have to be on multiple platforms and you have like everyone's, you know, has a podcast, a blog, like whatever it is. And so that's why I think Rella is like what I wanted with Rella was to make sure that we included all those platforms and everything that an influencer uses to, because just Instagram is not realistic anymore. You know, maybe five years ago it was, but now if you're not on TikTok, you're falling behind. And to have all your eggs in like one social media platform is a little risky, I think. So I always recommend people to go on multi-platforms, but I've been seeing that just in general. Brands too, as well as individuals. Yeah. Brands, I feel like now are going all in on TikTok. Like I feel like brands are like very creative with TikTok right now. It's been fun to see like, how it's been working for them. Like it's, I don't know if you guys follow like the Duolingo account. Like they post like nothing about Duolingo, but they're, they have like 2 million followers, like doing so well. So it's interesting seeing like the different strategies. Yeah. I feel like they were like the first account, like the first brand account to really like blow up on TikTok. And it was really interesting for me to see that growth as well, because I felt like when, TikTok was really starting to become popular. People were like, okay, this is just for creators and individuals, not for brands. We don't want brands here. This is just like fun space. And now I think you see brands starting to figure out how to... TikTok for me is like the hardest, the most difficult platform to get used to. But... I think brands are starting to figure it out. It's so, 
it's so hard because like you don't have your people and that's like how I feel like I've built Instagram is like cultivating my audience. And with TikTok, it's so random majority of the time. So it's like, it's hard to know like what will do well. Like sometimes I'll post something that I think will do really well, or I spent a really long time working on and it'll get like two likes. And then (laughs) the, I'll post like a seven second video with, some random like text on it and it's like boom it's major and so it's kind of unpredictable in that way but I think it just goes to your previous point which is like once you have your niche you just explore within that and then see which videos do well within that niche yeah and I think TikTok is interesting because for me it's been hard because I feel like I am a very multifaceted person and I like posting about everything I don't just like posting about one specific topic, but in on TikTok, niching down, I think really, really helps. And so it's been hard because I am like, okay, well, what do I want my niche to be on here? Like, what do I want to, what do I want to be known for on TikTok? Because, you know, when it, you, you can be on a specific like niche TikTok, you know, it's like, oh, I'm on like Italian food TikTok, or I'm on like, <laughs> I don't know, like random little subcategories. Like I'm on Taylor Swift TikTok or whatever it is. And so with that, I'm like, okay, so what, what do I want to be like found on? And that's been like the hardest part for me trying to niche down because I feel like my YouTube channel is just all about, you know, oh, okay. It's about my business. It's about, you know, my life, my weekends, my whatever, you know, like my makeup tutorials, whatever it is, you know, and random stuff. Whereas TikTok, I'm like, okay, I don't know what to post. What's going to do well on here. It's been really hard for me to, to get used to that platform. Yeah. I think it's like, because we're so used to Instagram or YouTube. I feel like we figured it out now. We know like what to do. But then at the same time, I think in some ways it kind of gets you out of a rut because you start thinking about like overall your brand overall and how it can evolve. Because especially for me, I think I get in like creative rods where I'm just like, I want to be consistent. So, and I want to post a lot. So I just do like kind of the same thing over and over again because I know like it works and it's fine. And like, I know how to make that content. And sometimes you need something to like shake it up a little bit. And I think TikTok has definitely done that. I mean, just look at like the Instagram app in general and like addition of reels and how video content does so much better. Like I've noticed my still posts on Instagram are underperforming always in comparison to video content. And that's just like a trend overall. And that's because of TikTok. Yeah. It annoys me though that Instagram like wants to be more of a video app. I'm like, we need one photo app. Like everyone, everything else is a video app. Like I wish Instagram was still mainly photos than videos. I agree. They're, they're definitely like, they're trying too hard to be TikTok and they won't be. But yeah, it is like, it is interesting for me to be like, okay, wow, I should be way more consistent with my video content because it's just not it just doesn't come naturally to me well also i i mean the other like i was reading this morning something about book talk that 2021 did you read that 2021 was the largest paper book sales ever in history and it's like a combination of the pandemic but also people posting on tiktok and the the power of you know, that influencers have now is so incredible. And I think like, you know, it really, it is a business that you, you can't ignore in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like from a business owner perspective. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Totally. And also, I mean, anyone now can become an influencer, like anyone that has, no followers just in there laying in bed, filming a video about this is my favorite book can have a chance to blow up. And then like that person influenced a ton of people to buy that book, you know, and that contributed to it. Now you don't need to have a million followers. It's anyone has the opportunity to reach hundreds of thousands or even millions of people. I'm wondering what you think is, I guess the longevity of that, because I think now as we're saying like is easier to gain an audience, but you aren't sure about like what the value of that is, I guess. Yeah. And like Mm -hmm. what the career, what a career looks like now, because I think people can 
like there is opportunity to just do brand deals, but I'm, I'm wondering like what you think the shift will be in creating a long-term career from an audience on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. Well, I want to definitely want to hear what you, what you think about this, but don't, I sort of feel like in general, the, all these social platforms are evolving so much that, you know, when people started on Instagram, there really wasn't a TikTok, you know, YouTube was small. And it's like, I think we have to have faith that you're developing a voice and that whatever the platforms are now will evolve into new ones and, you know, AI and whatever in the future. So that there is, I think people always thought that being an influencer was only going to be good for X amount of years. And then, you know, people wouldn't want to listen to you anymore. But I think that there's always going to be these new ways to talk to your audience. And we just have to have faith that, you know, things will evolve into other things. But you're the expert, Natalie. So <laughs> I'd like no. to hear what you think about that. I mean, I agree with you. People need to evolve. And I think that that's one thing. You can't just be on social media. And I think that's it. I think you have to move to either other platforms. You have to try to expand your brand, whether not necessarily starting a business. Like I don't think you need to have like products or a business or anything like that. But I think you have to do more than just posting and find a way to expand from there and see like the opportunities that open up. I know, for example, like five years ago, there wasn't really much you could do off of social media. It was either like social media and that's it. Whereas now we're seeing from like more like OG people, you can actually break into traditional media. You know, people are hosting the red carpet. People are, I don't know, like if you look at like the Paul brothers, they're like fighting now and like they're actually like athletes, you know, or whatever it is. But I think it's you need to find a way to expand from just social media because social media, I view it as like a revolving door. You're going to lose followers all the time and you're going to hopefully gain followers all the time. So even if you're stagnant, it's still like a revolving door of losing and gaining. And so I'm I'm not really worried like, oh my God, like I'm going to lose all my followers one day because... I know that there'll always be like new ones that are coming in, but it's just like, okay, what can I do to really expand and get off of this? Because you could lose all your brand deals one day, or you could, you know, someone hacks your account or whatever. And then, you know, that's gone. So just thinking of ways that like you can think of yourself as a business rather than just like, oh, I just post on social media and that's it. So that's kind of what I think the future will be like more and more TikTokers you're going to see are going to go off and like do their own thing. And like be entrepreneurs still, but they're going to like start their own businesses and kind of like get off of social media while still posting, but doing something else. Yeah. I think the key is having something you own. Yeah. Something that is yours. Something because social media is owned by tech companies like Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, whatever it is. So at the end of the day, it's not something that you control, even though you're like controlling the content that you post on there, it's not something that you own. So like having some sort of like intellectual property gives you something to sell forever, you know? So whether that be like you are selling tickets to a live show that you do, or you know, you have your own website that you're doing stuff on forever. That means that, you know, if if TikTok isn't really popping off anymore and that was your main platform and you were a TikTok influencer and now TikTok's not a thing, there's another app, you're irrelevant now. It's like, then you still have like your thing, you know, that's always going to be your thing, your website or your product or your experience that you're selling that you you can have forever and that you can build into something. And I, I do think that I guess the go-to is like to have a physical product. And that's why so many people start clothing brands or do, I don't know, like makeup collabs or whatever. And I think there is like so much of that. But And I get it because you do want to have a physical product outside of social media. But I think like there you do, you're seeing like that there's other ways to do that, that aren't so like one-to-one, I guess. Yeah. Well, even like 
not even just like a physical product, but we have become like experts in social media, experts in connecting with an audience. Like you could go consult with brands and have, you know, agency where you're helping brands connect to Gen Z or whatever it is, or things like that. You know, like I think that there's so much that you can offer being on social media that isn't just limited to posting, but also kind of what you were saying with having your own website, having your own product where like people can go to. I think that's why it's so important to communicate and like form a loyal audience because if you're only relying on like going viral and like algorithms pushing you out then or pushing your content out, like people aren't going to follow you if you go to a website, you know, because that requires them to like search your name and to go to whatever.com and that's effort. That's like loyalty of people are doing that. Like I don't know how many creators I would do that to. Like it's a small handful, even though I follow a ton. So I think that's why it's like so important to form an actual connection with people. So they do go wherever you end up going and they like support whatever you end up doing. And you're also, you're not having something like that. You're not just relying on brands to kind of like pick you, I guess, for, for brand deals or like posting for brands. And I think that kind of becomes a problem once you are, I guess, older or like, quote unquote, less relevant. So yeah, you're not like you're relying only on, on yourself in some ways. So that's, that's definitely key. But speaking of brand deals, I want to ask you, like at this point, you obviously have your own business, but you're still doing content creation. How do you choose which brands you decide to work with now? And are you like more because you have like this business niche, are you more picky about the brands that you work with now than when you first started? Yeah. So I really only work with brands that I either have tried before and like use in my day-to-day life, or I'll ask brands, like if it's some a brand that I haven't heard of or a brand that I've heard of, but I've never tried, I'll ask them to like send me product beforehand and have like two to three weeks testing it out before I can like confirm just so that I make sure that I actually like it. But I've been really lucky and I've been able to work with brands that I use daily or in my day-to-day life and also form long-term partnerships with them. So I think long-term partnerships are so much better than one-off brand campaigns because you both know what you're getting. You both know what to expect and it's more genuine. Like having one person one time be like, oh, I love this product and then never mention it again. It's not going to be as great for the brand. Like I think I've heard the statistic, like you have to see something 12 times before you actually buy it or something like that. So like you have to constantly be like reminded that this thing exists and then you're like, okay, fine, I'll just try it. You know, I'll go and I'll buy it or I'll make a username or whatever. But I prefer long-term partnerships. So I'll usually ask brands if I do like a one-off campaign, I'll follow up if I like really enjoyed working with them and I'll like ask them for more long-term things because one, it's more reliable income, but also it's better for your audience not being like, oh my God, you do a sponsor every single week of something different. Which one is it? You know, like, what do you actually like versus being like, oh, I know that you love this product because you're always talking about it. So that's kind of like my strategy when I'm working with brands. And by long-term partnerships, like how, how far in advance are you, are you thinking for that? Are you doing like year long contracts or quarterly or how, how far in advance are you booking those? I've done like three month long contracts and then I've done year long contracts. So I obviously prefer the year long ones because I feel like it's just more consistent and reliable, but I will always offer like to do the shorter ones too. Cause I don't think brands want to commit to a year long, especially I'm never going to ask for a long-term partnership the first time we ever work together. But after the first time, like obviously if they're either wanting me to work with them again, or if like it did well, or, you know, I really love the product, then, you know, you kind of follow up and ask for more of like a consistent partnership. And what sort of brands do you find like work best with your audience or perform the best for your channels? I'd say ones that I've talked about like prior to doing a sponsorship. So like I recently worked with Athletic Greens and like I use Athletic Greens or I take Athletic Greens every morning, every morning. I just like last night was watching late night TV and I saw it and I was like, I think I need that. They're everywhere. I see them like they're really like, yeah, they're killing. They just like came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really did. I see them. Commercials all the time. <laughs> Do I what? So you, so you yes. tried it and you like it. Yes. But that's interesting because that's a case of traditional media 
mixed with influencers, you know, and just kind of like a brand that understands both of those mm-hmm. yeah. sides. And they do both really well. Like the commercials are, are always very captivating, I feel like. So I really like the way that they market, but I was using them for like a year before I ever worked with them. And so when I worked with them, it was like the most organic sponsor because I've literally been talking about them in my videos like every single time I vlog and I film my morning, I take athletic green. So like the sponsor didn't feel like a sponsor, but it was like, Oh, but I have a coupon code for you now, which is nice. So, you know, I think things like that are really great. Or I work with Squarespace a lot. That's like my a long-term partner that I have. And with them, it's just so natural because I don't need to read a script. I don't need to have like talking points. It's really just like my personal experience. And I use Squarespace for my website. And so For me, it was like the easiest thing in the world being like, oh my God, yeah, this literally helps me run my business. Like it's the best. And so it's been like super consistent and reliable. And like those types of partnerships that I've show when it's not sponsored do really well on my channel. I think you're saying that a great partnership comes from already like having an organic relationship with the product in your day-to-day life or with the brand in general. What else do you think makes a good partnership or a good brand deal? I would say when the brand allows you to have creativity, I have worked with brands before that will give me a literal script and I will just say like, I'm not doing this. Like this is just so unnatural. Or if a brand like makes you reshoot it a ton of times to like look like more commercially, I'm like, this is literally going to flop. Like I, I'm this, my audience will not like this, will not resonate with this. Like, uh, I don't, I'm trying to benefit both of us, you know? So when brands don't allow you to have creativity, like I understand you need talking points and you need like things that need to be hit on. And like, you have a certain style, like that's totally fine. But because I think like the influencer is doing a job for the brand, but I think having creativity is like so, so important. And then obviously just things that like, aren't the things that like fit your brand, you know, like if you're, um, I don't know, like if you're a brand that only talks about fitness or like, I don't know, one certain thing, and then you're like going and talking about something that's like totally contradicts like what you normally talk about. I'm like, that's, you know, like (laughs) don't just do anything. So it has to like fit your niche. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I see that a lot. And your first point about like, the super, super structured brand deal. I've definitely had experience with that. And we know what's going to do well. We know what we post day to day. And like when something feels extremely unnatural because it's been edited 30 million times and has like overlays on it that we usually don't add. Or like, I remember I had, I did one that was like, I I had to reshoot it like three times And they wanted me to add like music over my stories, which I don't normally do and all of this stuff. And it was just like, I knew it it wasn't going to do well. So I think that's like something that, that brands are going to have to like, let go of eventually because you're hiring a content creator to fit your brand into their niche. Yeah, it has to be authentic. Authenticity is the base for everything, really. Yeah, it's such a buzzword, though. I think it's really interesting because this past week when I was like away with a bunch of girls that all do content creation, but I think we all have like our own attitude towards it. And I've seen there, I guess authenticity has become like this huge buzzword in the space. But it's interesting for me to see people who like, their brand isn't really about authenticity. It's more about aesthetics and it does super, super well. So I think that, I don't know, there's there's different ways to go about it. And like, just because you don't share your entire life online and AKA you're not like the most authentic creator, as long as you're adding value to your audience and bringing something to the table, I think that's really like where the focus should be. Because not everyone is going to, share their life online. For example, the girls that do like that girl morning routines on TikTok, there that's probably like the least authentic thing in the world because no one's life looks like that 
but it does so well because it's adding some sort of value, even though it's not authentic. But it's authentic to them, meaning that is what they do. That's their niche. Yeah, it's their niche, but it's like not anyone's life. Nothing is like set up so perfectly. It's but that's like, okay. It's, maybe that's... there's like a way to do it. Maybe there's, I think there's two sides. You you can either be authentic or you can be aesthetic. And yeah. that's kind of the way, the fork in the road, I guess. Well, I think yeah. like with TikTok, it's honestly like you would think like, oh, TikTok is all about authenticity, which I like see on one hand because like people just like pull out their phone and film and that's it, not really edit it or anything. But then like you were saying like that girl morning routine, you're literally showing like one clip of every day or one clip of every hour. That's going to be the most perfect second that you're going to show on camera. Like you're going to show the light streaming in perfectly, your bed perfectly made, like perfect coffee swirl whatever and you know you're showing like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of your day compared to like longer form content you can see a lot more of it so it's like yes tiktok's authentic but then again like those types of content really aren't like you were saying because like you're literally showing nothing like you're showing like the best parts of it and putting it together in a 10 second clip yeah exactly well so i guess we can just we can close out here. So one question we ask all of our guests on Ageless is what do you want to be when you grow up? So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I love that because I feel like you don't get asked that once you go to college. It's like, it's just what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like stops when you're like 17. So I would say that I would love to be the CEO of a large successful company. So that has always been my goal to like run a successful company that, you know, has a lot of users, that has a team under myself, has like a supportive network. So that's what I would want to be when I'm older. So hopefully I'm on the right track. <laughs> You're on the way there. You're on the way there. So tell everyone where they can find Rella, your channels, all of that good stuff. Yeah. So you can find me at Natalie Barbu anywhere on social media, like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and then Rella you can find on the iOS app store or the Google play app store. So it's for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Um, you can just search Rella on there. Awesome. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thank yes. you. This is fun. So much. Hope you guys love this episode and thanks so much to Ginny media for our audio production. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>